Today's reading will be from 2 Corinthians 4 verses 1 to 18. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed by day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. For we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hello, welcome, wherever you're joining us from today. My name's Jonathan, one of the pastors here at Red Door, and it really is a privilege to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, I received a text this morning from Sarah Young uh, telling me that she was praying for me as I prepared to preach through one of the best chapters in the Bible, and it really is. I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we will be spending our time today. Uh, When I was growing up, uh, when I was very young, I had a very good relationship with my grandparents on my dad's side. Uh, They lived just down the road from us and after my my mum died when I was young, they uh, took on the responsibility of caring for us along with my dad. And so we would spend a lot of time there uh, before school in the morning, after school in the afternoon. And my granddad was a very remarkable man. Uh, he was, apart from being just a wonderful human being, he was exceptionally intelligent, uh, a mechanical engineer and an electrical engineer. And uh, in fact, in his 
uh, early research in his younger life, um, he was prevented from going off to war to fight in the in the Second World War because he was deemed to be too valuable to the nation. He was doing world-first research on electricity, specifically electricity towers, and he would actually live up on top of an electricity tower in order to conduct his research. He had so many great stories about uh, his early life, and, um, and so he was always teaching us uh, about how things work. He was fascinated by anything and, and, and trying to figure out how it worked and he would then pass on that information to us. And, and I remember, you know how you have some of these like memories, uh, little memory films in your mind that just kind of out of nowhere will come to mind from now and again. That's kind of like they're, they're taken out of the kind of dusty recesses of your memory and brought to the light. And I was remembering him uh, teaching me about how creation came to be. And I remember him quite, quite vividly, remember sitting in his den with him as he explained that God made everything with his words. And I can just remember being shocked and, and in awe, like, really? That's the kind of power God has? That he just says something and it comes into being for the first time ever out of nothing? I remember saying to him again very vividly, so God just said, let there be a blue whale. And there was one. He's like, yeah, that's how it works. God said, let there be light. And there was light. It's interesting that Paul refers to this fact about how God created all things in our passage in verse 6. And he, he refers to this fact um, trying to explain how God himself is made known to us in Jesus. And so he says in verse 6, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. This image and this theme of light is really important to Paul because you remember the context in which he's writing to, to the Corinthians is one in which uh, he is away from the church and he has in effect been replaced by these false apostles, these super apostles, these very impressive professional religious men who have come in and are now undermining him. And Paul wants to use this theme of light, this image of light, to contrast his ministry of illumination and revelation and, and open truth with their ministry, which is shadowy, scheming, deceitful, undermining. And so he says, this is the way that God treats us. This is God's ministry of mercy to us. It's light it's illuminated, it's revealing, it's open, it's true. That shapes the way I do my ministry as an apostle, and that is in contrast to that ministry of my opponents. And so he explains in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. 
Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. This situation in Corinth with the church that Paul planted, his, his sons and daughters in the faith, and them now being under great threat from a group of teachers who have come in with a different gospel, who, are, who is undermining the gospel of Paul and the ministry that he laid there. This whole situation is tearing Paul up. It really is. I mean, you can read this. This situation is colors the whole letter from start to finish. And it's tearing him up inside, causing him a great amount of stress and anxiety that these sons and daughters in the faith, these precious children of his in the church in Corinth are being swayed, are being deceived. And his ministry, gospel ministry, is being undermined. And part of the reason that this whole situation has come about is because people in the Greco-Roman world, in first century Corinth, just like people in 21st century Melbourne, are very attracted to appearance to performance, to charisma, right? To communication. They're drawn to it like moths to a light. They're so impressed by it and they seek it out. And these false apostles who have come into town undermining Paul are everything that they and us today find attractive, find persuasive. They are in all likelihood, rhetorically trained, outwardly impressive, charismatic and powerful in their performance, in their preaching, just in their leadership. And so these Corinthian Christians are under great threat because of the persuasiveness of these opponents of Paul. I remember years ago now being invited to speak at a conference and I was asked to provide a, a biography so that you know they could put it in the program for the conference and I must have done a terrible job of you know just giving the bare facts uh, of me and my wife and we had then just one daughter and a dog and uh, and that the response I got back was, you know, can you spruce this up a bit? Like, this is how we're going to sell the conference to people. The thing that people want to know is who's going to be speaking there. And so we need to, you know, impress them, essentially, is what they were saying. And I totally jumped into it. I, you know, jazzed it up and made it to myself sound way more impressive than I really am uh, and ran the danger of everyone being disappointed when they actually saw me in action at the conference but isn't that just the way that our world works inside and outside of the church every christian book now has 25 endorsements right on the opening pages on the back of the book it's 
we're very good at selling ourselves. Social media basically exists as a way for me to project what I want people to believe about me onto the world, even if it is very different from the reality. And in contrast to first century Corinth and to 21st century Melbourne, in contrast to his opponents, those false apostles who are undermining his ministry, Paul says, that's not the way I do things. He says in verse 5 of chapter 4, we are not proclaiming ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. He says, it's not about us. The gospel that we preach is not about us. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. It's all about Jesus, Paul says. And then, and then he says, let me draw you a picture, guys. Let me show you what this looks like. He says in verse 7, we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God, not from us. See what he's saying there? He's saying the treasure The treasure that I want you guys to know and take hold of and enjoy forever, that treasure is Jesus. That's what we have. It's like a a beautiful treasure inside a cracked pot. We are just fragile, brittle, clay jars. The, The only important thing about us is that we house a treasure that we want you to have. He says it's not about us. This is all about Jesus. So these false apostles, these opponents of Paul are saying, you know, he's not very impressive. He's not like us. And it's working. The people are being attracted towards them and away from Paul. And Paul's response is, listen, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. He's what you need to focus on. He's the treasure that you want to take a hold of. Forget about all of this window dressing. And then his opponents also say, not only is he not very impressive, but he suffers so much. Like his, his suffering to the degree that he has been suffering is an indication and evidence that maybe he doesn't have the Spirit of God. Maybe he's not born again. Maybe he's not an apostle. That's what his opponents are saying. He just suffers too much. And, you know, like they kind of have a point to an extent. I mean, it's a pretty good representation of Paul to say that he is a man who suffers a lot. And in fact, he doesn't even try to hide this fact. His way of dealing with this accusation from these opponents is just to admit it, which is sometimes a good strategy. If you're being accused of something, just, yeah, just say, yeah, that's right. You got it right. That's me. Just listen. We're going to get to this in weeks to come, but just listen to his summary of his sufferings in chapter 11 
and verse 24 and following, he says, and this isn't even all that he says, but he says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. So five times whipped 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship. Many sleepless nights. Hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. And he goes on and on. Paul says, yeah, you got me. I suffer. My life is shot through with suffering. Remember in the first chapter, when he spoke of his time in Asia, and how he wants the Corinthians to be aware of it. He said in verse 8 of chapter 1, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Completely overwhelmed. Suffering to the point of feeling like this is the end. There is no way back for me from this. This is death. The language that he uses there is like the language of someone being drowned, overwhelmed, despairing of life. I remember as an 18-year-old, me and my friends going away for our first holiday after finishing year 12. I remember going with them to Lake Eildon and uh, my friend uh, had a couple of jet skis and so we were going away just to camp and jet ski and um, that was his kind of level of wealth. My kind of level of wealth was wealth was that I had a kayak and, uh, and I loved my kayak. I enjoyed my kayak. I bought it uh, from the trading post, which, um, you know, kids, that was a paper version of eBay. And uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> I bought this kayak and enjoyed paddling it around. Anyway, we went to Eildon this time and we thought it would be a good idea, as any 18-year-old boy would, that, um, that we should tie my kayak behind the jet ski and I could be towed around in the kayak behind the jet ski and um, if you know anything about this kind of thing you know what's coming tied the rope to the back of the jet ski my friend Stewie just guns it as hard as he could and the first thing that happens is the nose of the kayak goes down into the water everything gets dragged underwater and suddenly without even taking a breath I am fully submerged underwater being dragged behind this jet ski at great speed water rushing into my mouth nose ears eyes 
just completely submerged, completely overwhelmed, completely despairing of life. And by God's grace, for one split second, the kayak came up out of the water. I screamed with everything I had, managed to get their attention. They killed the, the uh, jet ski and uh, I'm here today against all the odds. But that experience of being dragged under, of being overwhelmed by circumstance, of despairing of life, that's, that's what Paul was going through in Asia. He is a man like his Lord Jesus acquainted with grief, right? familiar with suffering. And so this accusation of his opponents that he just suffers too much kind of has some credence. And yet, and yet even through all of this experience that he's had of deep suffering, Suffering probably beyond anything that we could even comprehend in our comfortable Western context. Even in the midst of that suffering, he is able to say, verse 8 and 9, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible for Paul to have gone through these experiences right up until the present as he's writing this out? To have gone through all of that and yet to be able to say what he just said. Here's what the, his opponents don't understand. And here's the key to him being able to suffer well. What they don't get is that Paul's sufferings are not random. They are not meaningless. Paul's sufferings have a purpose. And just as... The sufferings of Jesus himself were planned and purposed by God so that through suffering and death there might come resurrection. So it is with the sufferings of Paul. As he goes about preaching the gospel and encountering sufferings, it's through his sufferings that people come to new resurrection life. That's God's economy for this present age. It is a death and resurrection shaped life. And the ministry that we have as Christians is no different to Paul's ministry in the first century. As we go about this joyful and privileged work of sharing the good news, we will experience sufferings, but none of them are random or purposeless. Rather, they are planned by God in order that through our daily dying, 
we might get to see resurrection life in the lives of those people that we bless. Yes, we are clay pots. Yes, we are brittle jars. But the treasure that we have inside is life. New life. Resurrection life to those with whom we share it. Sometimes the jar itself must break in order for the treasure to be seen. And so he says as much in verse 10 to 15, this is what he says. Just listen to how he interprets his sufferings in light of God's purpose to bring about new life, resurrection, life. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. For we know that one, the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. That's how Paul sees his whole ministry, sufferings and persecutions included. It's all death, 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 so that life, new life, might come about as a result. I was reading the other day in George Guthrie's commentary on 2 Corinthians. He recounts this story of the work of missionaries in the Congo Republic. Uh, the Congo Republic is the smaller country that's neighbouring the Democratic uh, Republic of Congo. And uh, Christian uh, ministry was very difficult in that nation 100 years ago. And here's what he writes of the missionary endeavour into the Congo Republic. He writes, The daughter of missionaries to the Congo Republic recounted to Leif Anderson in 2004 how as a little girl she had participated in a celebration of the 100th anniversary of missionaries coming to the Congo Republic. Speeches were given. Music was played. And at the end of the day, a very old man stood before the crowd to speak. He said that when the missionaries first came, the people thought them odd and their message suspicious. The tribal leaders seeking to test the missionaries slowly poisoned them to death over a period of months, even years. 
children of the missionaries died one by one. But the missionaries stayed and proclaimed the gospel even as they died. The old man commented, It was as we watched how they died that we decided we wanted to live as Christians. Death leads to life. And so it is, and so it was, and so it always will be in this age, in the now and the not yet. There will be a death and resurrection shape to our ministry. For Paul, seeing his sufferings in this light, seeing that they have purpose, that they are part of God's grand salvation plan for all peoples, completely changes everything. It completely changes the way he sees and interprets his ongoing sufferings. Check it out. Verse 16, he says, Therefore, because all of this is true, therefore we do not give up. Do you feel like giving up sometimes? Just recently I felt like giving up. I have found this whole COVID situation pretty difficult to deal with and I've found it to be just continually discouraging. And by God's mercy and grace, I've been lifted up out of that for periods, but I've, I've, I've encountered a kind of malaise during this time. And part of it's just because I miss you guys. I miss church. I miss worshipping with you. I miss speaking to you and not through a camera. Right? I've, I'm, I'm missing these things. I, I don't like being inhibited. I've never enjoyed being penned in, which is exactly what's going on for all of us right now. And, and the result of it is just a kind of a, yeah, a malaise, a, a kind of depression. And that COVID stuff came together with some um, criticism I received recently and about my the way I was doing ministry and, and it came together and it just caused me to, you know, just honestly, just to say, screw this. I, I, I didn't sign up for this kind of ministry. I'm going to go do something else. Pack shelves at the supermarket, do something useful. The reason Paul doesn't give up is because he can see that all of his sufferings have purpose. That God, as he says in Romans 8, works all things for the good of those who love him. That he is, as he also says in Romans 8, more than a conqueror through Christ. And so he, he finished, I'll read the rest of this passage for you from 16 to 18. This is what he says, his summary. Therefore, we do not give up even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction... Wait, just stop there for a second. Remember, chapter 1, his affliction, his suffering, is overwhelming to the point of death. And yet as he 
interprets and reinterprets and reshapes the, the kind of schema, the, the worldview, the lens through which he views these sufferings and sees that none of them is purposeless, but actually God is sovereignly working all of these things for his good and for God's glory. Through, through that experience, he's able now to say, not, not that he is feeling overwhelmed to the point of death, but rather our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Now notice this, the afflictions haven't changed. And yet his experience of them has. They are now momentary light afflictions that are actually doing a job. They're actually serving a purpose. They're producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So, We do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul says, Christian, Christian, listen, you have a choice. When you wake up in the morning, you have a choice. Each and every day, you have a choice before you. You have a choice whether to focus. It's the word he uses, focus, right? Whether to train your eyes on what is seen and temporal or to train your focus, to to focus your eyes on what is unseen and eternal. And this is the choice we have before us each day. We, we, we see the world through all kinds of false dichotomies. We see people through all kinds of false dichotomies, right? Are they left or are they right? Are they liberal or conservative? Are they man or woman, right? Young or old? Beautiful or ugly, right? We, we have all these ways of categorizing people. And what Paul says is, no, listen, there are two categories of people. There are people who train their eyes, their focus, their attention on what is seen and temporal. And then there are those who do all of those things, training all of their energy onto th- that which is unseen and eternal. And he wants us, friends, he wants us each day to focus on that which is eternal. And this is not to say that he just spends his life, you know, like floating through life, not bothered by anything, a kind of Buddhist um, um, separation from that which is real, our lived experience. He's not about detachment, right? He is fully invested in gospel ministry, living every day like it was his last. But he sees that life, that ministry, that daily experience through the lens of eternity. He has an eternal perspective and that changes everything. And when you think about it, it makes complete sense, friends. Like why? Why would we be consumed with the just heartbeat of a life that we have here and now? When before us, there is and will be unfolded eternal life, 
in a new creation with Jesus himself. He says, don't ignore the heartbeat life here and now, but live it in light of that reality which will go on forever. The reason that we can live this life even in the midst of suffering is because we know that in that life which is yet to come, that new creation, that eternal existence, will not only be characterized by no more sin, no more suffering, no more death, no more disease, no more opposition, false apostles, anxiety, worry, no more of that. It will also be characterized by a life lived not only with our Savior, but with those people we have introduced to this treasure, this beautiful gospel story so he says live in light of that reality this is good news friends what he has written here to us is such sweet news particularly if you like me have been finding this season that we're in now a burden Allow yourself, even now as I pray and finish our time together, allow yourself to be ministered to by the good news of the gospel. Let me pray for us as we finish. Father, we thank you for this good news. We thank you that our hope does not rest in what is seen and temporal in our current circumstances, good or bad. But our hope, our sure and certain hope, is based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and your promise that you will make all things new. Help us to live in light of that eternal, beautiful reality. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Bless you. Grace and peace.